Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. We kind of get the next section um, of this, and you can kind of take this and, and understand it on its own. You can kind of like look at it and be like, okay, here's this little block. But it does make sense, you know, more so rolling in from the previous passages, much like all the others have. Um, but this one has less connectedness to the to the very early sections of, of chapter 12, uh, but more so has to do with uh, the previous section of of living in a way that is seeking his kingdom, right? Remember the charge that we had there in uh, verse 30 of chapter 12? Jesus says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So in that section there, you recall that what Jesus is doing there is two things. He's uh, telling us something that we ought not to do and something that we ought to do. We ought not to be like the other nations. We ought not to be like other people. So we can't look around and say, well, they're doing it this way. Jesus, that's not an option for you guys. That's not what you're supposed to be looking at. You have an entirely new set of, of instructions. You have an entirely new motivation. You are being motivated not by uh, what other people are doing and trying to keep up with pe other people or comparing yourself in that way. He says, instead, you ought to be seeking first his kingdom. You ought to be pursuing him in such a way that uh, the, the good um, attitude, the good perspective, the good generosity of our Heavenly Father is uh, going to take care of the things that you need. So as much as you're stressed out and worried about providing for your own needs, he says, don't even do that. You're, the reason that you're comparing yourselves to others is because uh, you're thinking that they have something that, that you want or you need, but he says, God knows what you need more so than, than you can know. He makes this point and he tells us that we are to be a people who are defined by seeking first his kingdom, by making that a priority, by doing the will of God. And then he goes on in verse 32 to affirm that even more so, and he tells us, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he tells us that not only do we not have to be worried about it, not only are we told to seek the kingdom, he says that when you do seek the kingdom, you're, you're, doing, you're doing only something that God already wants you to do, and so he wants to give you that. He wants to provide for you. So you have success set up there already. And, and then he finishes with these words in verse 34, and this is kind of the section that helps us transition into our text this morning. He says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's telling us the thing that you really care about is what you're treasuring. What you're, what you're really focused on, what you're really stressed out about, what you're really worried about, that is a thing that is ruling your heart. The thing that you are, are most concerned about, that you're most worried about, that you care about the most, that is something that is, is ruling your heart. And for, for every single person, when that thing is not God, that's essentially an idol that you've made. You are seeking after, caring about something other than God, right? The very uh, first uh, 
you know, uh, commandment there is you shall have no gods before me, right? Commandment one, right? Perfect example there. Number two is don't make any idols, which is kind of nested under number one. Like you shall have no graven images and carved images, nothing that, that you're, uh, take, is drawing your focus away from making God your primary goal, your primary treasure. Jesus elaborates uh, further as he explains uh, the, the, the first great commandment as he's uh, interrogated by the, the scribes and, and the Pharisees and they ask him, like, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus tells them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the very first commandment there. That God is to be your priority. You are to be chasing him down. You are to be pursuing him wholeheartedly. And when you have something else as that priority, you, you've drifted away from that and you've made an idol. Now, 100% of us do this all the time. 100% of us do it all the time. And some of us do it, uh, you know, like 100 times a day, right? We're just like, uh, we have this problem all the time because we drift, we drift off into worries and cares, and they, we begin to obsess over things, to be focused on things and worried about how we're being perceived or how we're, uh, how we're presenting ourselves to other people. Or we're worried about how our, what, our, what our achievements are, are looking like. And these things are, are things that draw our attention away from treasuring God truly and rightly. You shall have no other gods before me. And this is, this is what Jesus is saying there in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That we ought to be a people who are so obsessed with treasuring God that we just want to know about him. We want to know what he's doing in our lives, what he wants us to do, how he's working, how he wants to meet us in the scriptures how we're, we can be in prayer and how we can meet our needs and how we can talk to him and share with him our, our struggles, our hardships, our difficulties. If he is the one who provides all, then of course we want to be in prayer with him and share those things because he is the one who is going to give us what we need. He is going to be our provider. And so this treasure is to be a focus of the life of the disciple, but it's to be about treasuring God. Now, the disciples here have to live this out now. They have to live this out in light of what they're going into, and uh, each person in the family of God is entrusted with this walk with Christ, but more so uh, the disciples here, because they're going to kind of begin to lead the churches and get things going. And so Jesus launches into kind of a, a, a group of instructions here um, in, your, in your Bibles that may kind of come under this subheading that's just called, like, you must be ready. It's like, okay, well, yeah, sure. You must be ready. What, like, what does that mean? And if you, if you read this, right, this is kind of like one of these passages that you kind of got to break down like real specifically and real slowly because otherwise it just sounds like he's like telling one story that's super confusing. Uh, but he's telling like a lot of stories here. There's a bunch of illustrations, okay? So as we move through, you'll see that there's, you know, probably three or, uh, three or four illustrations that you're going to find here that are, that are, are broken up uh, to help us understand the varying perspectives 
Uh, and then we get Peter in there saying like his like normal stuff where he likes to like jump in and say something, uh, which is like awesome because like he says like most of the time the stuff that like we would want to say. Um, so, so you kind of pick it up as we go along. So let's look at the text here in verse 35. He says this, Jesus says this, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Okay, so we're just going to stop right there. Now, at the very beginning, hear what you see. Uh, well, actually, let me give you, let me get, let's just continue to verse 36 here, right? Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now, this isn't one story. This is three, right? Three sets of instructions here, okay? This is not one. It, it, it's, it's essentially one point, but three different things here. So two illustrations of readiness kick us off. First, the first illustration we get in verse 35, Stay dressed for action. Uh, if you got an old school Bible, right? If you got um, the King Jimmy, uh, you in in yours, it might say like "gird up your loins," right? And nobody talks like that. It makes no sense. Uh, at the time, it would have made sense for us. Stay dressed for action uh, makes some sense here, but f- for what what is being said here is uh, have this state of readiness, the state of preparedness. It, it, to to stay dressed for action or to gird up your loins, as it would be said, right? I'm going to give you that because, like, you're going to read, the, you're going to see this uh, kind of pop up occasionally. It's the same idea, the same verse, right? You're going to be scrolling through like your Instagram, and someone will have like one of those little like illustrations with the verse on it that says like gird up your loins. You're going to be like, that's weird. I don't know what that means. Here's what it means. Okay, at the time, what happened uh, is most of the attire was layered in uh, w- with like several inner garments, outer garments, right? You had kind of this multi-layer thing happening. And most of it was uh, about kind of like ankle length, went down pretty far. And, and so if you had to move quickly and you had that uh, long flowy bits down there at the bottom, then that was not going to uh, work very well if you needed to all of a sudden move out of the way quickly or you had to uh, pick up the pace or start to run fast. If you had uh, a, an animal that was getting away and you had to go chase after it or you had to be ready uh, for battle, you, you weren't going to be prepared if you had kind of this uh, extra fabric that was going to uh, trip you up in the process. And so what would happen is essentially uh, they would uh, tie this up and kind of turn it into shorts, basically. So that, that, long, that long bit, they just kind of like pull it up and tie it around. So that way now uh, that extra fabric is gone and you had the ability to like move more quickly. So if you needed to uh, get into action, you would be ready. Now what Jesus is saying here is basically like, we should be living, and the, and, and the people that he's addressing here are saying, you should be living in a way that like your tunic is not all the way down to the ground ever. You're always ready for action. You're always living in a state of preparedness, right? If you notice, he uses um, grammar, like kind of like nerdy grammar stuff here, where he's, he, he uses this kind of idea of, uh, of like a, an, a perfect imperative, which means like a command that is, uh, that is, Uh, always relevant, let's just say. And he says here, stay dressed, right? Stay dressed. He didn't say get ready one time. He says, you should always be this way. Not like this isn't a one-time command, like get dressed right now. He says, 
stay dressed. Of course, it means get ready, but it means always stay ready. Always ready. That's the idea here. Now he comes to uh, our second illustration. Keep your lamps burning. So this is a second command, not related to the first necessarily, uh, but related to the first and making his point. Have your lamp burning. Don't have it just filled with oil, with your wick ready. He says, just always have it lit, always ready to go. Don't be waiting so that way you have to light it and then it has to like wait for the wick to burn down a little bit to kind of come to its maximum brightness uh, so where the wick is like soaking. He says, no, just, just keep it on all the time. So this is his second command. And, and, and that would make someone ready to move about uh, in darkness. If, if you were needed to go down into a dark room, if you needed to go down into an area where it was dark, you were always ready. You could always just grab that. It wasn't like, let me light this thing up. Let me wait for a little bit to come to brightness. Now I'm going to like, okay, now I'm ready to go out. He says, no, just always keep it ready. Again, this is an attitude that he expects his hearers to have, to be watchful, to be ready, to always be prepared. And then he comes to the third illustration that we get in verse 36. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So this is kind of what we get here. The third illustration is be prepared like a group of of men, uh, these servants who are waiting around, uh, and you're waiting the master's return from a wedding feast. Now, in the ancient world, uh, and, and I guess kind of uh, in some modern times today, but definitely um, in, in more ancient times, the, a wedding feast would take place, uh, you know, over the, the course of a couple days and sometimes, you know, as long as a week. So there were just, uh, you would go out to something. It's not like kind of like today where you would go to someone's wedding and like, okay, like you're there for like the like three hours that you're there, you know, see the event and have the reception and like you're, you're out, right? Every single uh, wedding was just like this like multi-day, like super long thing, huge party. And here Jesus says, a master has gone off to celebrate this event, to enjoy himself and to uh, take part in this. And the servants are back in the house and, and they are there waiting expectantly for the return of the master. He says, these servants are waiting, looking out, ready to immediately open the door and serve their master upon his return. And so these kind of three illustrations that Jesus gives us to kind of kick this off, they are connected to this idea of seeking first the kingdom. Always be ready, stay dressed, keep your, keep your lamps burning, always be looking for the master. He says, you always have a task to be seeking first his kingdom. If you are doing these other things, if you're staying ready, uh, if you're staying dressed and prepared, for action, if you're keeping your lamp burning, uh, if you are someone who is looking out for the master, you are not going to find time to do these other things that are going to distract you. Because you're going to be busy working on your tasks that God has given to you. Now, he says here, as we do this, there is a blessing connected. Look at verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes, truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. 
If he comes in the second or in the third, uh, in the second watch or in the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So Jesus tells us that in this illustration, there's a, a situation where the, uh, the servants are looking out for the master and the master sees that they are anticipating his return. They welcome him in. They grab all of his, uh, his bags and uh, the things and help him kind of get situated. And, and, and he says here that the state of this is that these servants will receive a blessing. Number one, they are seen to be faithful. But the master comes in and he says, no, you guys, you guys have been working. You guys have just been crushing it while I'm gone. You were excited for me. I didn't have to come in here and bust in and, you know, struggle to get all my stuff in the house and get it all ready. He says, you guys just took it all in for me. You helped me unload, got it all squared away. He's like, why don't, why don't you guys sit down and I, I will run around and I'm going to make you guys some food. You see, the master isn't just taking advantage of the servants and being like, well, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. I'm off to bed. He says, even uh, th these servants are seen to be faithful even in the second or third watch, right? So the, uh, oftentimes um, the kind of the timeline of the evening was divided up into uh, hours of service, right? Whether that would be for Roman guards or for uh, housekeepers. Uh, there were certain times of night it would be, you know, like let's just say it was like, you know, 10 to 1 a.m. and then 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. and then like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., kind of situation. So maybe a couple couple different different cultures broke it up into different sections, but you know, three to four watches were kind of common. And he says, even if the, the master came in so late, he came in the, the second or third watch, he came in like in the very, very like like early wee hours of the morning, those servants would be blessed because they have they have stayed alert. They've been awake. They've been watching and waiting to see is he coming? Do we do we catch a glimpse? Was that sound him? Is he out there in the distance? Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's beginning to emphasize the unknown timing of his return, which he will get to in a second. But he points out here that it could be even in the, the wee hours of the morning. Now, he's not speaking there uh, literally necessarily, that his return will be in the wee hours of the morning, because uh, that doesn't make any sense, because we live... It's always like wee hours in the morning somewhere, right? Uh, but he's more speaking to the idea that like most, like like everybody's going to be is like not ready. Like there's going to be, it's going to be a time when you wouldn't expect someone to show up. Now, <clears throat> as he says this, he says that this master will come in and, and serve his servants. He will tell them, you guys just go ahead and Relax. The master will dress himself for service, and he will come in and serve them. There's a blessing that comes as a result. Now, he goes on and gives us another example. Now, this is not this example is still related to the, the kind of house servant structure here, but not related to like uh, the previous verse very specifically. You'll get what I mean here. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not left his house to be broken into. Right? So he's not saying here that like the servants are useless and they wouldn't have defended the house. And like, that, that's, it's not really connected in the same way. He's just saying the master is a good master. And if he felt 
like his house was going to be broken into, he wouldn't have left in the first place. He would have, he would have, he's talking about timing here primarily, about being prepared and ready versus being unready. He says, if a homeowner, if someone knows that a thief is coming, he's going to be prepared and he's not going to leave. But if you know, if you know that someone's coming and, and you leave anyways, that's foolish. You're expecting to be broken into and you're leaving. You're, you're just not being prepared. And, and so really in verse 39, what Jesus is trying to get at here is to emphasize that just as the, the master may return from the wedding feast at a late hour when no one expects it, so you should prepare in such a way that there is, a, you know that someone is coming to your house. It may be the master. It may be a thief at a, a, at a time when you don't know, but you know he's coming. So you're not going to leave. You're not going to go out and run errands. You know something's up, so you're ready. This is about readiness. This isn't about comparing Jesus to like a thief uh, necessarily here. That's not what he's getting at. It's about timing. So he finishes with his main point in verse 40. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect, right? So he gives us all of those things about staying dressed for action, being prepared, girding up your loins, like, you know, making sure your lamp is burning, the servants who are watching out for the master who's coming back from the wedding feast, there's a potentially like a thief that could come and break in, so don't leave. And then he tells us, you also must be ready. You must be ready. Look for his return at any time. The Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect it. Now, you are going to be unprepared unless you're diligently looking for him. That's what he's getting at here. And if you look at kind of how he, he brings these uh, couple illustrations into view, you're meant to kind of look at it and say, okay, well, given the risk of like not being ready and the blessing of being ready, like it seems like it would be a good idea to like be looking for him. Uh, like this kind of makes sense. Like this is our job to be looking for him. We should probably do that. Now, here's where Peter slides in with like the like ace question, um, you know, because he kind of asks things that we're, we're, all, we're all thinking and he jumps in and he says in verse 42, uh, or excuse me, 41, Lord, are you, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Like, he's, he's like, he's looking, looking at it like this, like, let's figure out the audience here. Cause you've like been saying a lot of stuff and like, you know, we're your boys. Like we've been with you, right? We're like this crew that's been with you. So like, do you think like we're like sketchy servants? Like we're not really with you. Is that what's going on here? Or are you just like saying this to like everybody because like everyone's also here and they're all listening? Like, is it just for us? Is it for everybody? What are we supposed to do with this? Great question. He wants to kind of know here, like what's the, what's, what's, what's happening? Now Jesus does his like typical Jesus thing where he like answers by telling stories and he doesn't really tell you the answer, but he tells you the answer, right? I love that. It's like his ace move. Where you kind of just like, what do you think? <laughs> here, here, here's what he gets at. He begins to tell another story about 
um, about service, about servants and masters. And, and as he does so, he speaks about um, those who are set over a house um, and different people who could fill this role. Uh, and, and he contrasts these different aspects of faithfulness or unfaithfulness, as we uh, will begin to see. So here's what he says in verse 42. And the Lord said, right, so let's just, let's just see how, how, how like jarring this is. Let's go back to verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? You're like, oh man, here it goes again, Jesus. He's going to tell me some story now. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Okay, so let's just stop there because like that makes no sense to anyone here, right? Like Jesus starts off by posing this question and saying, who is the faithful manager who feeds the staff? Like, what? Like, what are we, what's happening here? Right? For us, that makes no sense because we don't, we don't have this. Uh, but essentially, in this culture, he's talking about someone who's kind of the chief of staff of a household. Someone who is the head servant. And this person would have been in charge of, uh, of this household and would have been in charge of the other uh, staff, the other servants who were there. And his responsibility was to take care of the other, the other staff, the other servants, um, and to distribute to them the food that they needed, the tools that they needed, whether that was done you know, daily, weekly, monthly. Uh, this was an administrative position, and it was one in which needed, uh, someone needed, that person also needed to, to do work as well. But their primary job was to make sure that everybody was on task. And that, and that the household was running according to the will of the master, according to the will of the homeowner. And so this is what is being said when Jesus comes back and, uh, to Peter's question, right? So we go back to 41 and see Peter's question again. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? So he, he, so now they hear, okay, we're going to hear this story about, we're, gonna, we're trying to figure out who is the faithful, faithful person, the faithful manager, who is doing the will of the master. Who is that person? So we're asking these questions as we go along. And Jesus says, Blessed is that servant, verse 43, whom his master will find uh, find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So we see that the faithful manager, the faithful servant, is uh, being described as someone whom the master finds him doing his job, doing his will. And he says the result of this then is that he will set him over all his possessions. Now, this servant's uh, faithfulness, I want you to see this, is connected 
not to his position. He doesn't say, uh, blessed is this servant who, because he's the one who's most in charge. He says, blessed is the one servant who is doing his job. It's connected to your faithfulness, to listening to the will of the master. It's connected to his service. The reality of this master's return, the fact that this guy's serving and the master's coming back, and, uh, and the master looking upon the work of this servant and evaluating it, that's what makes him faithful because he's done his job. Paul uses a, a similar analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, as he kind of draws parallels to how we ought to operate as believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Your chief job is to be faithful. Do your work that is expected of you. That's what he's laying out there. Now, as he does this, as he draws this out for us, He's making this point that the master is going to come back. And as he sees this, blessings come because the master sees that he's been faithful. And then he, his, his responsibilities expand. He's given more. Verse 44, Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. The reward for faithfulness is a, is a more permanent form of, uh, of service, of responsibility. You're given more access. You were given more opportunity. And so Jesus lays out this first case of the faithful um, servant. Now he comes to uh, this second case, and he introduces another servant, an unfaithful servant, in verse 45. And it goes from like really intense to like a little bit less intense as we move through these other examples. So we get uh, one faithful servant and three other servants who come in under different categories. First, we find one who is uh, really a, a, an unfaithful servant. We read this in verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, right, he's not saying the specific servant who was faithful. He's saying uh, another example of a, a manager of the entire household. If that servant, the head servant, says to himself instead, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on that day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. Okay, so here's the next situation. Here's a servant who is unfaithful. He's a servant who is completely unconcerned with his master's return. He doesn't, he's like, my master's going to be gone for a really long time. I don't really know what's happening. I don't really care, but I know he's going to be gone, so I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. I don't know when he's coming. I don't know if he's ever coming back. I'm just going to enjoy this. And so instead, he says, I don't need to care about my, carry out my responsibilities in a proper way. I don't need to do my job. But he takes advantage of his position and begins to abuse the other servants. You guys do the work. I'm, you know, and he begins to exalt himself to the position of being the master. He's beating them and, and treating them poorly. 
He starts eating all the master's food and uh, drinking, right? And then it extends into getting drunk, right? So he starts there and you'll see it, it starts to escalate even further. Rather than doing his job well, he indulges and, uh, and abuses his position. And re- realistically, he does the opposite of what is re- required of him. His job is to care for the other servants, to make sure that they have what they need, and to take care of them faithfully, to make sure that they're well-fed, to make sure that things are running well, that they're well-looked after, that they're loved. And this unfaithful servant does not do that. He does the opposite. But as this unfaithful servant doesn't care, doesn't make it a priority to know when the master's coming back, and of course is now in a state of of drunkenness, is totally not aware of what's happening and what day it is and what's going on. And the master comes home in verse 46. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know. So this, the unfaithful servant, his, his abusive treatment of these other servants is interrupted by the return of the master. He shows up and, and this head servant, he's beaten all the other servants and, you know, he's clearly drunk and eaten all of his food and he gets caught in the middle of this. The master sees it. It doesn't escape uh, his view. The master reappears right in the middle of it. And all of a sudden, the day of judgment has arrived. And we find that the result here is that the, the, the master acts swiftly and in a very strong way. It describes him as cutting this servant in pieces and putting him with the unfaithful. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Because like, uh, it's a little like gnarly sounding. Okay. This unfaithful servant is said to have received a fatal blow. He is said to um, receive this uh, act of cutting him into pieces. Now, what's happening here is um, in Jesus' story, this is essentially a way of, of... communicating something in a figurative way. Uh, this man is, uh, is of course, receiving, uh, receiving a very hard punishment, but it's meant to communicate this, that the, uh, the punishment that he's receiving is a complete uh, and total punishment. This man is not simply uh, being demoted, okay, well, now you're going to be the lowest servant in the house. You're going to, you know, you're going to have to go work for another house. Uh, he's saying, you are being put outside as a, uh, as not somebody who belongs in this house. You're not welcome here. This is not your home. This is not where you belong. You don't identify with us. You don't want to be here. And so in this sort of aspect, it's kind of meant to communicate, right, and go with me here on this because it's a little confusing, that he is being dealt this fatal blow and that he's cut into pieces, but then he's being 
put with the unfaithful, right? So it's kind of meant to say like he's he's being dead, he's like being killed, and then but also he's like not being killed because he's being put with a gr- another group of people. It's meant to to communicate that it, it's not just enough to be like okay, well like that that we're just we're done with that guy. It's meant to communicate here that 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 this is hard judgment that's coming on coming down upon this man, uh, and he is being put out into another group of people who are classified as unfaithful, who are unbelievers. This is um, a picture of, of rejection, really, that's, that's kind of being displayed here. Right, so don't get too caught, uh, it's, a, it's a story, right? So don't get too caught up in, like the, in, the, in the parable here. It's meant to kind of show are you in the house? Do you want to be in the house? If not, you're going to be cut up into pieces, receive that final judgment that you can't be brought back into the house and put out with the unfaithful, right? So it's not meant to be like super literal about those things. Now we get to the second servant. Second servant, who basically is kind of like a pretty stubborn individual here in verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. So here's the second type of unfaithfulness. This servant, who's the chief of staff, who knows what the master wants, but he doesn't act accordingly. He doesn't, he's like, I know exactly what you want me to do while I'm gone. I'm just not going to do it. Right? The first guy, he tries to come in and he takes advantage of it and beats all the other servants. This guy's just like, I'm just going to like do nothing. Like, I'm just going to, whatever. Like, you guys just go ahead. I know you want me to like keep it running in a really tight ship as if you were here. This guy's like, he doesn't really care. He's not interested in the master's will. He's not interested in executing his job or his responsibilities. He's, he's just here for the ride. He doesn't really care. And he's going to uh, receive a severe beating. Again, this is a, um, a de-escalation in the type of punishment that this other man received. He's still in the house. He's receiving this uh, beating here that's connected with correcting that attitude, correcting uh, that and putting him back into uh, the proper framework so that he might do his job well. The unfaithfulness that's described in verse 47 is, is not as severe as what is described in the previous verse. So the punishment is not as intense. Then we come to uh, verse 48. Right? This is, this is a, a good one. But the one who did not know, so he didn't know the will of the master, and did what deserved a beating, so he still did stuff. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. But he didn't do it right. He, he, like the stuff he did was still deserving of punishment. He deserved a beating. He will receive a light beating. So he gets a light beating. Sounds funny, right? What this guy did is still worthy of a beating, but he acts out of ignorance. The guy in verse 47, he's just stubborn. He's just like, I know what you want me to do. I'm just not going to do it. Verse 48, he just doesn't know. And he goes his own way. He's just like, I'm just going to do it like this. I don't really know what to do. I'm just going to 
just let's just do it this way. Let's just run things this way. What he does is still worthy of a beating, but he acts out of ignorance. His situation is obviously less severe than the previous verse because he uh, he doesn't know. So his the the corresponding uh, discipline that he receives is is less intense. So for most of us, we're like, well, like, why does this guy like get a beating? Because like it seems like a little bit unfair because like he didn't know. So like maybe like we probably should just like not let him get that like. You can't really hold him accountable for like what he didn't know. He's the head of the house and he didn't know. That means like you're not in communication with like with with the person whose house you're running. Like you're not even interested in being in communication. So you're just kind of like, eh. It's not that he couldn't have gotten the information. It's his responsibility to know. Right? Jesus doesn't say here, he doesn't say here. Um, in verse in verse 30, all the nations of the world seek after these things and, and your father knows what knows that you need them. instead, nothing. He says, no, seek after his kingdom. If your father knows that you need them, you go to the Father. Figure it out. He wants to give them to you. He says here, right, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if you're going to seek it out and he wants to give it to you, he's waiting there to give it to you. He's just waiting for you to be like, okay, like, how can I serve you today, Lord? What, what do you want me to do? The master is not unwilling to give us what we need to give us the kingdom. It's are we willing to actually seek? Are we willing to actually do that work? You can't be ignorant to seeking his kingdom. You can't be like, okay, well, like, I'm just like not going to go after the things that everybody else is going at. That's not enough. You can't operate, uh, you know, from, from that opposite position. It's not just, well, I just won't pursue worldly things. I'm, not, I'm just not going to do anything else. You have to seek. You have to take action, right? Remember? Stay, what, what does it say? Stay dressed for action. Always be ready. Keep your lamp burning. There's no like, I'm just going to like chill. I'm going to put it in cruise control. That's not a thing. He tells us that we have to go out and do it. So this third servant, the ignorant one, he's at fault because he's not doing the thing that Jesus said. Seek, be ready, be prepared. Figure out what the master wants you to do. Then he finishes with these words. Everyone... To whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So, I love this because he kind of gives us this framework to work with. Like, whatever way you're serving, you're going to be evaluated according to whatever level of knowledge that you have. If you are entrusted with much, much is going to be required. If you've been given much, much will be required. The more that you know, the more responsible you are, the more you become. And the more that you know, the more responsibilities you're going to be given, the more God's going to entrust you with those things. Now, 
we circle back and do a couple things. Number one, we remember here that this also doesn't allow us to be a people that's just like, okay, so let me think about here. Much was given, much will be required. From him that is entrusted much, you're going to be entrusted with more. So like, I'm just going to go for like the lowest amount of like work possible because like, I know it's going to get, get, I'm going to get entrusted with more if like, I, if I like be faithful with this little bit, like I'm automatically going to get more. You're not allowed to do that, right? Because remember, then you're in the position of this third servant who's the ignorant one. But then you also can be in position of the stubborn servant who knows the will of the master and knows he wants to give you more and wants to entrust you with more and wants you to seek his kingdom and be like, I know what you want me to do, but I'm like, just not going to do it. You also can't be that guy. And you definitely don't want to be the third guy who's the guy who just is, knows exactly what he's supposed to do and he just totally doesn't do it and goes his own way and has his own party and eats all the food and gets drunk and beats all the servants. You don't want to be that guy either. So there's not a lot of other options here. So it's no wonder that Peter asks this question, like, so is this like for everybody or just like for like just us? The remark here is directed at everybody and the disciples. Because the disciples, they know more about Jesus than everybody there. They're closer to him than everybody there. So when Jesus says, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The disciples bear most of the responsibility since they hear all of Jesus's sermons. They're there present in all of them. They're the most accountable. So they need to be faithful for sure. So it definitely applies to them. And it definitely applies to the crowd because Jesus is speaking to everybody and says, everybody stay dressed, be ready. You don't know when the hour is coming, when the Son of Man will return. You keep your lamps burning. He's giving us all these things. But then he also, I love this, as you think about it, he's kind of giving this idea of the managers of the house and, and giving them, equipping them to uh, give the servants what they need. And that's kind of like what the disciples end up doing, right? They become kind of the chief of staff of the house of God. As they begin to go out and start the early church and steward well over God's people and, and uh, you know, teach and train and exhort and, and, you know, preach the word of God and raise up leaders. Like, this is kind of what they do. So they've got to do it well. They've got to be faithful. And by God's grace, they are faithful because, like, we're here today, right? Like, they did their job. And we continue this work. We have to be continue to, we have to continue to be ready, to be prepared, to stay dressed for action. This is not an environment where, like, we are in cruise control, right? We are not in a situation where we're just chilling, we are ready, ready to go each day to serve the Lord and to find out what is his will and where is he going. And those blessings exist for us as we await the return of the Lord, of course, each day as we wake up and he meets us in the morning, his mercies new, ready to direct us for the day ready to send us out to serve him, ready to enable us to seek his kingdom and to give us 
that kingdom because it's his good pleasure to do so. So stay awake, be ready, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. We look forward to that day where we will welcome the master home. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your kindness. We're grateful that you empower us to serve you. You don't just call us to serve you and leave us to our own um, our own ways and our own efforts and abilities, but you empower us to do those things that you call us to. And so, Lord, would you uh, be glorified in your church as we step out in faith each day with what little um, skills and abilities that we have, and may you multiply those things. May you uh, fill us with your spirit and enable us to serve you faithfully. And we ask that you um, would help us to pursue you rightly each day and to seek first your kingdom. We're so thankful that your heart towards us is generous and kind and loving. And we await that day when we will see you face to face. And so Lord, call us to respond now. We love you. Amen.